The reading today is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we get started in this uh, series called What to Say to an Atheist, I did want to first of all say we're going to talk about Romans 1, but I wouldn't start there with an atheist, by the way but we'll talk about why we will, some things there. But I want to say some things about uh, the series. And one of the things is when we, when uh, one of the dilemmas of a preacher is that I have to think about how to approach a topical. So this is what I would call a topical-based or a subject-based series. So I'm actually going to be looking at the topic and starting with the topic and starting with the subject matter and then saying, what does Scripture have to say to us about this topic or about this subject matter, rather than oftentimes we come and we think about sermons as exposing or illuminating the biblical text for us. I'm actually not starting with the biblical text on this series. I'm starting with the subject matter and saying, okay, what does God have to say to us about this subject matter? So just want to put that disclaimer out there so that if you're thinking this is going to be a lot of expository uh, notes about how to uh, be argue with an atheist. I'm not looking at an argument. I'm looking at what are the connection points, what are some of the starting points that we have in, in talking to atheists and agnostics and others in our culture and in our worlds and in our relationships that are just different than ours. And we'll talk a little bit about how we frame that. So next, so today we're going to actually take a look at the natural world. We're going to look at creation and how the creation itself as we heard in Romans, is a pointer to God. It shows us the way to God. Next week, we're going to talk about bad religion. You know, there's a lot of bad religion out there where you have to talk about bad religion and how that's impacting people's beliefs. And then the third week, we're going to talk about intellectual integrity and, and having intellectual integrity. And can I be a person of faith and have intellectual integrity? And I Obviously, the answer in my book is yes, you can have both, but we'll unpack that third week. But today, we're going to look at some things in the natural world that help us in our conversations with people who may not believe in God or are questioning God. 
uh, how many people here ever have rode a bicycle, right? Any mount, particular mountain bikers out there? Anybody who's, who got on a, get on a mountain bike? Yeah, so we got a few mountain bikers. So when you get on a mountain bike, if you ever decide to try the rest of you, if you get on a mountain bike, one of the things you're riding on a trail and there's not, oftentimes you're in a wooded area, so there's not direct sunlight onto the trail. And sometimes it's very shaded and sometimes it can even be a little dark. So the cool thing for mountain bikers is that we can buy these cool sunglasses that aren't actually sunglasses. Then you can change the lenses out of the glasses depending on the conditions of the trail. And so you can put yellow lenses in or orange lenses in or red lenses in depending on how you wanna see the trail. I often ride with orange lenses because I find that that helps me to see the trail ahead of me better if I have those lenses in rather than maybe a darker tinted lens. So I thought that was a good illustration just to help us frame our subject matter today. You didn't, you didn't, that just went right over. Okay, sorry. Um, so anyway, here's what I'm talking about. What are our lenses? And we all walk around. I want to suggest to you that all of us walk around with lenses in. Lenses in our brain. Not physical lenses, but we're, we all have different lenses in which we're looking at the world and trying to make sense of the world around us. And, and we may all be, I think we're all wearing different lenses. And so uh, that lens is what we call your worldview. That's how you see the world. That's the lens through which you are looking at through the world at. And that's why when you look through your lens, it may look different than somebody else looking through another lens. So if you're looking through a yellow lens, right, you're gonna see things a little bit differently than someone looking through a red lens or a tinted lens or an orange lens. So does that make sense? So to get to a worldview is this. This is a definition of a worldview. A worldview is any collection of ideas and their attendant attitudes that attempt to explain and systematize at some level how the universe works. So that's your, that your worldview is your lens that you have in which you see the world. So to kind of help, again, frame our conversation, I want to say to you, here are some ways that different people look at the world. And, and there are kind of five different categories I'm breaking this down and different types of lenses that people see the world in. So the first lens is the lens at which I look at the world. It's called a theist. I'm a theist. I believe that there is a God, that God exists, and that God created everything, and I believe that God also, in, certain, in some situations, circumstances, will intervene and, inter, and intervenes and works in the world and among us. So God is apart from the world, but I also believe that God works in the world and is among us. So I believe in the presence of God in our world, so I'm a theist. That's, one of the, that's the lens through which I look at the world. Another person may look at the world as a deist. Now, a deist is a person who says, yes, God created everything and created the world, but in a sense, just kind of created it and then left it. Doesn't inter, interrelate with it, doesn't work in it, just kind of walks away, kind of winds the clock up and lets it go. But God, they do believe that God created the world. So that's a deist. Another lens is the lens in which someone is a pantheist. Now, a pantheist is a little bit, believes in the existence of God, but they might say that God is within everything, not separate from the universe, but within the universe, and is, a, in a sense, a force within the universe. That's where, something that a pantheist might say. So they look at God a little bit differently than a theist or a deist who sees God existing outside of the universe as well as within. And then you've got what's called an agnostic. Now, an agnostic is someone who's just not sure, who says they look at the world and the universe 
And they say, well, I'm not sure there's a God or not, and I, don't, I can't really prove either way. So then an agnostic would say, the lens through which I'm trying to look through doesn't, may, doesn't really include God because I'm not really sure there is a God. But I'm not going all the way to say there's no God. That would be an atheist. An atheist is saying, I don't believe God exists. There is the, God, the, the possibility of God does not exist in my worldview. I don't believe in God. God didn't create everything. So an, a true atheist is someone who says God's out of the picture altogether. So different people wear different lenses. And some of you may wear, we may have pe- people here wearing different lenses, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here no matter which lens you're wearing. So I'm thinking about this. Um, so that's why I may look at the world and see things, or I'm able to look at the world and I will see God in the world and see God at work in the universe and in the world that I live in, whereas an atheist would never, would not be able to do that. And it could be because of the lenses that I'm wearing versus the lenses that they're wearing. It could be as simple as that. I would suggest to you that it might be that simple. And there are different things that happen in our lives that shape those lenses in which we're wearing. So if I can see something that somebody else can't see and they want to be able to see, what do you do? Well, you take them to the eye doctor, right? You you say, okay, well, I can see. You know, if if somebody were walking down the street and you could say, oh, I can read that sign, and they say, I can't read that sign, you say, well, we need to go to the eye doctor, right? We need to go. And what does the eye doctor do? How many people have been to the eye doctor, right? You go to the eye doctor and they put this big contraption in front of your eyes, right? And then... They have you look at a thing, you say, what do you see? Can you, what can you read? What can you see? And you go, I can't, if you're, you need glasses you're, or a new prescription, you're like, I, I can't see anything, or I can see the big E, right? And then the doctor takes these lenses and they say, all right, now tell me which one looks better, right? Number one, number two. <laughs> and they do this for like, seems like a half an hour. Number one, number two, number one, number two. And have you noticed that when you're, they're doing that little thing, have you noticed that sometimes it gets worse? Like, well, is this better or this better? Because they're trying to figure out, okay, does this, is this a better lens for you? Or this better? All right, this one's not working for you, so let's take that one out of the equation. Let's try this one, right? I think there's a process we all have to go through of trying on different lenses, so to speak. And I think for us to see God, we need to be willing to try on a different lens. We need to be willing to say, I'm going to try this lens out. And sometimes it may look worse <laughs> before it looks better. And we have to do that. And I think in a, in a way, we have to think about how we can help people see things. Now, Paul in Romans 1 says, you know, there's already things that we can see without the Bible, without knowing Jesus, without all the other things that we, we, we bring to Christianity, that Paul says that in the known world, in the natural world, just by looking around the natural world, we can see, he says, the invisible qualities of God, that we all, atheists to theists, pantheists, we can all see God in the creation. Now, if you think about that, that's what he says, Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been what? Clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So what Paul is saying is that God is universally accessible to all people. That God is revealing God's self to all people. Whether or not we can see it, 
Paul says it should be clear to us, but whether or not we can may be something about the lenses we are wearing. There may be a problem with the prescription through which we're looking at the world around us. So I would say to you that God is universally accessible to all people, and God has made God's self known through the creation. One of the things I think, if you, if you look back at our history, so Native Americans lived in this country before us, many of us who are European, come from European descent or other descent. So the Native Americans, by living in this world, they had no exposure to the Bible, they had no exposure to Christianity, they had no exposure to the things and the teachings of religion that came from Europe, but did they believe in a great spirit? Yes. How did they know there was a great spirit? How did they come to the conclusion there was a great spirit? They came to that conclusion because they could see the creation around them and they intuitively knew that there had to be a great spirit because they could see the world in which they lived in and go, there's something more, right? So they intuitively knew that. That's basically what Paul's saying in Romans 1. We naturally know this. So this is our starting point, I think, when we're talking with atheists, agnostics, others of other different lenses, people wearing different lenses, our starting point, I believe, is the natural world. Are you with me so far? Because that's all just a setup. I'm just giving you all the background so that I can say two things. (laughs) The first is that our natural world, the first thing that God reveals to us in nature, in the natural world, is beauty. See, a lot of times we're looking, I think, at creation the wrong way. We're neglecting to see the beauty and the wonder of creation. Do you, I, I, Pew Research came out with this statistics from Pew Research Center said that 54% of atheists, people who identify themselves as atheists, feel a deep sense of wonder about the universe. Think about that. That, that they have this experience of wonder. Now, interestingly, Christians those who would self-identify as Christians, only 45% of them had the sense of wonder. So I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? Have we lost our sense of wonder as Christians versus atheists? So atheists have this deep sense of wonder and awe about the world, and I think that's a starting point. Because I actually had this experience last year. Some of you know I was in in Glacier National Park, and and I'm sitting beside this lake. You know, I think we have a picture of one of the lakes in Glacier National Park. You know, look at that, right? How many people would love to just sit by that lake right now, right? And, and so I'm, if you can imagine, I'm sitting by this lake in Glacier National Park, and one of the other people sitting beside me was an atheist. And we had this shared experience. We're both looking at the lake, we're looking at the mountains, and we're all, we're both sitting there going, wow, right? We're sharing the same experience, the Christian pastor and, and the atheist, right? And it was a young woman, and and, um, and myself and my wife was sitting on the other side of me. We're all sitting there on this lake shore, just, just saying, and on the inside of me, I'm going, thank God, right? But on the inside, I'm also wondering, who does she thank, right? Who does she, where's the gratitude go? Where, what, what is she thinking? And so I began to just talk with her about her, she was sharing some of her life with us, and she said she grew up in the city, she lives in New York City, and she still lives in New York City, but she was finding herself, this is what she said, I I keep finding myself drawn to the national parks. I love the city, I love living in the city, I love the convenience of the city, I would never leave the city, but I find for me to be grounded in life, I've gotta get out in nature. I thought, hmm, interesting, right? 
And, and what, is that, what is that that's evoking that in her, right? What is it that keeps drawing her out of the city and into the national parks? And she's been trying to see different national parks, but she was talking about how when she gets out in creation, there's something about that that helps ground her as a person. That was the only way she could articulate because she doesn't have the same lens that I have, but what I'm saying is that we share the same experience. And, that, and, and she may not have said, well, God did all this, but she was able to experience the beauty. What was she seeing? She wasn't analyzing creation. Well, she wasn't saying, oh, I wonder how those trees got there and how those mountains got formed. All of a sudden, she was just taking in the beauty of creation, right? Alistair McGrath says this, He says, beauty bypasses rational analysis by appealing to something far deeper within us. That's what we were experiencing, the beauty of creation. I think that's a starting point. I think anytime we're going to talk to people who can't see God, who may be wearing a different set of lenses, we need to be saying, but look at the beauty of creation. Look at the beauty. Look at what God's divine power created. What did God use divine power for? Beauty, <laughs> right? How many people, I, I've yet to have this experience, maybe you've had it, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this. I've never stood at the top of a mountain with somebody and looked out over a valley from a mountaintop and heard somebody say, boy, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I've never stood on the beach on a, looking over the waves crashing on the shore and somebody stood there and said, that's the ugly, what, what, what's with that? I've never heard anybody look at a rainbow in the clouds and go, wow, how, what? That's, that's, that's ridiculous, right? Nobody does. Have you noticed that? Because we all share an experience of beauty. We all know beauty and what beauty looks like and we appreciate beauty and we all have that internally wired into us and intuitively what Paul is saying, that is a signpost, that is the fingerprints of our God who created took divine power and created beauty. So that's one thing. And the other thing I would say that in the natural world, that God is also revealed in the design of nature. So there's the beauty of nature that is, I think, a signpost to God and that we can point to and say, hey, this is, this is something beautiful. We both share this experience. This is something that, that we both can see together. And this may be God I think the other part is the design of nature. So to give you another example, how many people have ever heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? Right, here's, a, here's one of the homes that he built. He's a famous architect. This is a, a, one of the homes he built in creation. It's, it's, it's designed to fit in with nature and it actually has this waterfall coming out of it. It's called Falling Waters. And so this house was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and people lived in it. Now, the thing about a Frank Lloyd Wright house is you don't get to pick where the bedrooms go. You don't get to pick how it's gonna be designed because Frank Lloyd Wright is looking at it and you, when you go to Frank Lloyd Wright and say, Frank Lloyd Wright, build me a house, Frank Lloyd Wright builds the house that he wants to build, not the house that you wanna build. You know, a lot of us, we want the house that we want to build. We want the kitchen here, the, the microwave, you know, whatever it is that we have in our house. We want to tell the designer where it goes, right? It's not a Frank Lloyd, it wouldn't be a Frank Lloyd Wright house if that was true. So he's designing the house for beauty. He's designing the house to fit into this landscape. He's designing it not based on 
the, the people who will live in it, but based on its design and its beauty. Now, if you lived in a Frank Lloyd Wright house, let's say you lived in this house. Frank Lloyd Wright died in 1959. He no longer, he doesn't live in the house with you, does he? That would be kind of creepy. <laughs> Maybe that's why atheists think it's creepy that God's always around. You know, that, I don't know. They don't like that. Maybe we don't like that idea of God always being around. But the other thing is, is that, but the people living in the house, even though it wasn't designed the way they wanted, they would never deny the existence of the architect. Why would they never deny the existence of architect? They would be in the house, they would live in the house, and even though Frank Lloyd Wright's not around, and they never met Frank Lloyd Wright, or never saw Frank Lloyd Wright, or even because he no longer exists, do they sit in the house and go, there's no architect. They can walk around the house and see that someone designed it. They can recognize and intuitively know that there is design and intentionality behind the creation of the house that they live in. There's design and intentionality in the house, in the world, in the universe that we live in. That's the creation. It wasn't just designed for us. <laughs> it, it comes as is like a Frank Lloyd Wright house. But we can see the fingerprints, we can see the design of the creation and the designer and the architect. So you can look at, and these are really two ways. So the other thing, you could look at the design of it, right? That's one way to look at the house. I think what's happening in our culture today is that we're bypassing beauty, we're bypassing design, we're bypassing purpose, intentionality, meaning, and we're going straight to the analytical. Now, I could live in that house and I could look at it very differently. There's another way to look at this house. I can look at the house and I can count the number of stones that are in the, in the fireplace, that were, were used to build the fireplace. And I can count uh, the number of beams and how, much, how many pieces of wood and how much concrete was used and how many metric tons. And, and I can calculate all these things. And I can even tell you how the house was made after I look at all those, analyze all those different facts about the house. So I can analyze the facts about it, then I can show you how the house was built, and I can do that all without ever recognizing the architect. And I could even take you, and we could even create blueprints, and I could take those blueprints, and I could build another house just like it because I could count everything, and I could analyze everything, and I could scientifically prove how everything was created. <laughs> and I could rule out an architect altogether and make another copy, right? That's another way of seeing. And I would suggest to you that's a different way of seeing the world, and that's part of our culture. That we are looking through this lens of scientific reason and method that sometimes leaves out the intentionality, the meaning, the purpose, the beauty, the design of our world. You can look at a rainbow and tell me Roy G. Biv and totally miss the beauty of it, can't you? You can say, oh, Roy G. Biv. You all, you all know what that is, red. Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, indigo, violet, right? Those are the seven colors that make up a rainbow. Sorry, I went back to science class just for a moment. And I love science, by the way, if you haven't picked up on that. So think about that. That's what's happening. Uh, a friend of mine who is a uh, biologist, a micro, uh, microbiologist, he uh, started a bioengineering company along with some of his friends back east, and they made the biofuel for the last summer Olympics in London. And so all the public transportation at the London Olympics 
the biofuel that his company created from algae, they took algae and created biofuel from algae, and that was what was running all the vehicles at the last London Olympics. That was just kind of one of their projects. So he is a very elite group, and one of his colleagues, his colleague's name is Dr. Dutt Vinjamori, and, and Paul shared this quote from, from his friend with me. He says, knowing a little science can lead you away from God, but knowing a lot of science brings you closer to God. That the more you dig in, and I, and I would say that if your science is leading you away from God, I think you need to dig deeper. Look deeper. Look at the complexity, the beauty, the design of creation. Look at the human DNA strand. Go deeper into your science. Because the deeper you go, the more questions you have. And what happens is a little bit of science, oh yeah, will become an excuse not to believe in God. But a lot of science will raise a lot of questions that scientists can't answer. And they go, there's got to be a God. Paul and Dr. Vinjamori are scientists and men of faith deep faith because of their science. So those are two things, two starting points. But Paul says one other thing here in the scripture today I don't want us to neglect. Paul goes on and he says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I kind of get this image of lenses again, <laughs> right? And now, I don't think this just applies to, I think this, what Paul is saying here applies to the whole human race. Not, so I'm not trying to pick on atheists or deists or anybody. I think this applies to all of us. How many people remember the solar eclipse last year, right? And you took some solar eclipse glasses, right? I got my solar eclipse glasses from NASA and I put them on for, before the solar eclipse, you know, because you're like checking them out. I'm like, I can't see anything, right? They were so dark, I couldn't see anything. The only thing I could see was an eclipse. <laughs> Do an eclipse, that's what they were made for, right? And I wonder about that, what Paul is saying is that our hearts, our hearts have become darkened. Is it possible that our hearts have become so darkened that it would take a solar eclipse? Hey, there's a lyric of a song I just thought of. Total eclipse of the heart, right? So there you go. Wasn't in the sermon. That's free. That's free today. <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is that we become so darkened that it would take literally a spiritual eclipse in our lives to unopen our eyes, to clear up our sight, to help us to see God, right? Because part of the thing, here's what Paul is saying that when we push God to the margins of our lives, when we keep saying to God, less and less of you and more and more of me, in our lives, when we keep pushing God further and further to the margins of our lives, guess what happens to our thinking? It becomes more futile. It says when we stop glorifying God, when we start praising God, when we stop lifting God up in our world and saying, look how great God is, look at the beauty around us, look at the design, when we stop saying and glorifying God, what happens is our thinking becomes futile. You know what futility means, literally? Another way to describe futility or futile thinking is like a person grasping at straws. That idiom comes from the idea that there, someone drowning will even grasp at a piece of straw to try and save themselves, which is what? It's, a piece of straw is not gonna save you, right? It's futile. 
There's no way that it's gonna happen. You actually need a life preserver. You actually need a, a rescue boat. You actually need someone to throw you a life ring that you can grab onto and that they are the ones. Someone outside of yourself saves you. You cannot save yourself. But as we push God to the margins, what happens is we start looking to ourselves and our futile thinking and we start grasping at straws for meaning, for purpose in our life. Famous atheist Richard Dawkins was asked about the origins of life on our planet. And he said, uh, they were, the interviewer was asking him, so, where do you, where did, so if all this is true, if everything you're telling us is true, all, you, all this is true, where did life come from on the planet? How, how did life get here? Because it, you can't, it, it just, you know, it, it, how do you prove that? How do you even, not even prove it, but how do you, what is there evidence for it? Like, where did it come from? And I don't have time to go into all the factors and all the issues with that. But he said, Richard Dawkins said this in the interview. He said, we were seated here by aliens. All right, okay. And then the interviewer followed up with this question. Okay, well, thanks, Richard. But can you answer this question? Where did the aliens come from? See what I'm saying? So he kind of, and he didn't know how to answer the question. And I saw in him in that moment, smart as he appears to be, futile thinking. (laughs) He's grasping at straws, trying to figure it out (laughs) because he knows that life on the planet is a miracle. He cannot deny that the origins of life on this planet are miraculous. And he doesn't want to claim that it's a miracle. (laughs) As an atheist, why? Why would an atheist not want to claim a miracle? Because that might mean there's a God. So I can't say there's a miracle, so I'm going to say aliens, right? Which doesn't feel like intellectual integrity to me. I think it would have been better for him to just say, I don't know. That would have been probably a more honest answer for him. Not for me, but for him. So I think about that. That's what happens. We try and figure things out ourselves apart from God, and God gets pushed to the margins of our lives more and more, and we become darker. So I think, what do we do as Christians? I think we do what Philippians 4 tells us to do. We mentioned, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Philippians 4, chapter 5 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about such things. Glorify God with such things. Those are the things that will point us back to God. Those things in our world that we can point to and say, ah, that's a signpost to our creator. That's the way we go about it. Let's pray together.